Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The Caldor fire burning in the Sierras east of Sacramento is now the number one priority for state and federal firefighting agencies. Cal Fire Chief Tom Porter said Monday that the blaze has the potential to push across the mountains to one of California's most iconic landmarks. It is knocking on the door to uh, the Lake Tahoe Basin. We have all efforts in place to keep it out of the basin. But we do need to also be aware that that is a possibility based on the way the fires have been burning. So far, the Caldor Fire has burned more than 117,000 acres. It's also destroyed 400 homes and threatens more than 17,000 other structures. Its designation as the nation's top wildfire priority puts it first in line for additional firefighting resources. In related news, the California legislature has indefinitely postponed a planned oversight hearing to examine the Newsom administration's track record on wildfire prevention. That, as internal emails obtained by CAP Radio and NPR's California Newsroom, raise new questions about whether Cal Fire is being honest with the public. CAP Radio's Scott Rod has the latest in our ongoing investigative coverage. We've been exploring Governor Gavin Newsom's record on wildfire prevention for months. Months. Our investigation in June revealed he had overstated by nearly 700 percent the amount of forest thinning and prescribed burns on his priority projects. They were meant to protect the state's most vulnerable communities from wildfires. Our top story this hour, we're waiting for a response from Governor Gavin Newsom after a report showed the governor misled the public on the state's wildfire prevention projects. In an investigation, the story got a lot of attention. Lawmakers, both Democrats and Republicans, called for increased oversight and scheduled a hearing that was supposed to be held last week. But as the date approached, with much of the state on fire, Democratic lawmakers postponed the hearing indefinitely. Assemblyman Richard Bloom of Santa Monica, chair of the subcommittee that would have held the hearing, told us he postponed it because Cal Fire was too busy fighting fires to testify. Aaron Mackey, a senior staff attorney with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, says that's a problem for people who care about transparency and accountability. I think the message that it could potentially send is that these issues are separate and apart from the agency's mission in terms of managing wildfires and and protecting the public. The decision to put off the oversight hearing comes amid a new revelation. Internal emails obtained through a public records request show Newsom's hand-picked CAL FIRE chief, Tom Porter, ordered the removal of a key document from the department's website, the same day we published our investigation. The document was a fact sheet describing Newsom's priority wildfire prevention projects. It stated the effort would result in work completed on 90,000 acres of forest land. In reality, CAL FIRE completed less than 12,000. Shall we take it down? A department official asked Porter. Yes, it's old and outdated, the fire chief said. In another email, the official suggested scrubbing the department's website of other documents that identified Newsom's ambitious goal. Happy to help, the head of wildfire planning and engineering chimed in. He added, quote, I hadn't seen the document till today, after it was brought to my attention. I'll ask them to take it down. Ugh. 
Again, Mackey with the Electronic Frontier Foundation. That is a big concern here. Public officials can basically manipulate the presentation of facts, and they're basically removing evidence created in the public record that they failed to live up to their promises. Newsom and Porter declined interview requests. An administration spokesperson did send a statement saying CAL FIRE has been very transparent about Newsom's priority projects. She acknowledged the department briefly took down the two-year-old fact sheet, but did not explain why it was removed from the internet. Republican lawmakers say that underscores why there should be an oversight hearing. We need the Newsom administration to testify and present all the information in an open and public hearing. Assemblyman Vince Fong represents the Bakersfield area. I'm extremely frustrated that the oversight functions of the legislature has been completely stalled and has grounded to a halt right now. Democratic lawmakers say they plan to reschedule the wildfire oversight hearing in the fall or winter, after this year's fire season subsides. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul, for 30 years, or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The California Department of Justice has reached an agreement with the Bakersfield Police Department to implement a wide range of policing reforms. As Valley Public Radio Sarith Hawk reports, it's the result of the state's five-year-long investigation into the Bakersfield PD following complaints of excessive force. The state began its investigation in 2016 following a surge of citizen complaints, says Attorney General Rob Bonta. California Department of Justice launched an investigation that, in our estimation, revealed that the Bakersfield Police Department failed to uniformly and adequately enforce the law, leading to a pattern or practice of conduct that deprived Bakersfield residents of their constitutional protections. High on the list of reforms, revising the department's use of force policies and procedures. And there will be an emphasis on analyzing racial profiling data to ensure bias-free policing. The reforms are necessary, Bonta says, and will be enforced through the courts. This is, this is broad and comprehensive and will lead to um, significant change going forward that would help uh, build trust between Bakersfield uh, Police Department and the community. A five-year plan has been put in place to make sure the reforms happen, including hiring an independent monitor to oversee the changes. Bakersfield Police Chief Greg Terry says the department agreed to the monitor because it has nothing to hide. Some changes, like issuing body cameras for officers, are already being made. The agreement also calls for more training and accountability for officers, including an annual public report on misconduct complaints. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno. 
The recall campaign now aimed at Governor Gavin Newsom was fueled in part by parents who were angry with how he handled public school closures during the worst months of the pandemic. KQED politics reporter Katie Orr takes a look at the controversy and the criticisms of Newsom. The mood was festive outside George Washington Carver Elementary in San Francisco's Bayview neighborhood recently. Parents clapped and cheered as students lined up to go inside for their first day back to school after summer break. If you are a third grader, Mr. Dolan and Ms. Sayabong's third graders, Across the bay, mom Megan Bacigalupi was ecstatic to be sending her kids back to school in the Oakland Unified District. Myself, my husband, and I think my kids especially are just thrilled to be back with all of their friends in a full classroom and, you know, as close to normal as I think they have probably felt in a long time. Bacigalupi was extremely frustrated that her kids had to stay home last year as some private schools and a few public districts around her opened up for in-person learning. So she started Open Schools California, an organization focused on getting more kids back in the classroom. She says Newsom wasn't decisive enough when it came to education during the pandemic. Words don't matter if most of the kids are still sitting at home. And I think he decisively, essentially with the stroke of a pen, closed schools last spring when it was likely the right thing to do in the immediacy. But he took no decisive action to get them back up. Bacigalupi says she heard from many frustrated parents, many progressive Democrats like her, who signed the recall petition. In fact, Newsom never ordered California schools to close, though the statewide stay-at-home order essentially had that effect. Kevin Gordon is president of Capital Advisors Group, which lobbies for school districts all across the state. He says many districts wanted Newsom to act unilaterally. Schools that normally don't like the state infringing on their local control, we're actually hoping the governor would just do a statewide edict that we're closing schools physically so they didn't have to wrestle with the local politics. Gordon says he believes Newsom handled an unprecedented and complicated situation really well, though he says the governor got trapped between his strong support for public education and his loyalty to the labor unions that have always backed him. And where there became this conflict was wanting kids to be back in school, but his own constituencies across labor not wanting to come back. But the California Teachers Association's Becky Zogelman points out schools' teachers and staff weren't the only people concerned about returning to in-person learning. Many parents were also hesitant. When schools started to reopen, for example, you know, 70 percent of parents in Los Angeles chose to keep their kids home. And that played out in districts across the state. But controversy around the way Newsom's dealing with schools keeps popping up. He's been criticized for issuing strict COVID guidelines for schools last summer and for not being more forceful about reopening schools last spring when the vaccine became available. He's taken heat for sending his own children back to in-person learning at a private school, while most California public school students attended virtually. More recently, Newsom's been sued over the state's requirement that all adults and students wear masks indoors in K-12 schools, even if they've been fully vaccinated. Newsom's handling of education has been a key talking point for recall candidates like Republican Assemblyman Kevin Kiley. 
He's just saying whatever is necessary to cater to the agenda of the teachers' unions who want the outcome of schools being closed, and he'll give whatever rationale it takes to get there. But at a recent press conference, Newsom maintained he's been following the science while also balancing a massive system. We have been working with our partners in our education system, 1,050-plus school districts. We're trying to support the needs of 6.1 million public school kids. And we have been engaged to address the concerns and anxiety around reopening our schools. For now, schools are open across California, even as the Delta variant remains a concern. We may know more about whether that's enough to satisfy parents frustrated by Newsom's evolving positions after the recall election next month. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. With the FDA's full approval of the Pfizer vaccine yesterday, there's hope among medical experts that it could convince more Californians to finally get vaccinated for COVID-19. UC Berkeley epidemiology professor Arthur Rheingold tells the California Report that the approval is just the latest evidence that the vaccines are safe and effective. Those of us who know what the process really is would have said that We had quite a bit of uh, reassuring data about safety and efficacy to get to the emergency use authorization, but we now have more data. Uh, We have longer-term follow-up on people, uh, both in terms of safety and efficacy. So for people who, who have been waiting for that approval, I think it's great that we now have it. Rheingold, who has also led California's Vaccine Safety Review Group, says it's unclear just how many people were waiting for full FDA approval to get their shot. But that might not be the biggest reason the state sees a jump in people getting vaccinated. The other thing this will do uh, is enable a number of institutions uh, to decide that they will mandate vaccination for their employees, which they didn't feel comfortable doing while it was still only approved under an emergency use authorization. So I think a lot of the impact will will in fact be from the fact that there will now be additional mandates. Several cities and counties across the state have tied vaccine mandates to full FDA approval, and many private businesses in California have done the same. About a third of the state's population remains unvaccinated, although that includes millions of children under the age of 12 who aren't eligible for the vaccines at this time. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, August 24th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. As always, thanks for listening and have a good day. Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone? 
hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years. Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.